You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Alright, let's go straight into the teaching of the day. We want to take our... We've started a Bible study series and we've been looking at the book of Hebrews for the last few um, weeks now. And um, we've done Hebrews chapter 1, we've done Hebrews chapter 2, and today we want to take Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. I'm going to read very fast. Um, There are certain things I want to point out from both books. So I'm going to read really fast and I'll ask that you follow as I read. Is that okay? Alright, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Now... Hebrews 3.1 starts with, therefore, I'm feeling fresh, I'm using a pointer. <laughs> Hebrews 3.1 starts with, therefore, it says, therefore. Now, um, nobody starts a sentence with therefore, right? Right? Which means that whatever came before Hebrews 3.1 is the anchor for Hebrews 3.1. Is that correct? Alright, so let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews Hebrews 2.15 Let's do Hebrews 2.15 It says, okay The verse before this, 14 Now Since the children have flesh and blood in common He also shared in these Shared in what? Shared in what? Alright, so that through his death He might destroy the power Destroy the one holding the power of death That is the devil, next verse It now says, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives in the fear of death. Next verse. For it is clear that he does not reach out to angel, to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Next verse. He now says, therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Next verse. For since he himself was tested and suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. So basically, what the writer of Hebrews just explained in the last four verses that we just read, is that because Jesus came in flesh, he can relate with your suffering. Lord, because Jesus came in flesh, he can relate with your suffering. And that is very important. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus died and he rose as a man. But when he died and he rose, he conquered death. But those scars on his hands did not go. Do you notice that? The scars didn't go. The piercing by his side, it didn't go. Why? Because even as the risen Messiah, he's still able to participate. He's still able to relate to the pains that you feel. Do you understand? He's still able to relate to the pains that you feel. Even as the risen Messiah, those scars still show that he is in touch with who you are. Praise the Lord. So, it's not that, oh, while he was alive, while he was on the earth, he was a man who understood how you feel, but now that he's risen from the dead, he no longer understands how you feel. You see now, because he has changed levels. No! Even as a risen king, he still had those scars. Do you understand? 
still saying, you know what, I'm as human as you are. These are my scars, and I'm not going to get them to go away. Could he make the scars go away? Yeah. I mean, if he could deal with death, what are scars? Was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Next verse. Therefore, holy brothers and companions in a heavenly calling. He says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. I want to take some time to explain. I want to take some time to explain to you what the writer of Hebrews means when he says Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. You see, the word apostle is from the Greek word apostolos. Apostolos is spelled A-P-O-S-Q-Y-Y. Okay, A-P-O-S-T-O-L-O-S. Apostolos. Are you there? Do you have that? And it means sent one. Apostolos means sent one. Someone who is sent for a purpose. He is sent to establish a rule or a reign. So it comes from this idea in the Roman time, alright, in ancient Roman time. When the emperor was to go to a city, the emperor would first of all send somebody to that city. What that person is going to that city to do is to make that city conducive for the emperor's arrival. So he is going to go there and teach the people of that city the culture that the emperor is supposed to be part of. He would teach them to pray like the emperor does, to talk like the emperor does, to think like he does. He will arrange everywhere. He's coming with a message. Do you understand that? So when he calls Jesus the apostle of our confession, that word confession in the Greek is homologia. And it means, it also means profession. What you claim you are. Now, what claim, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, he explained the claim. His death was your death. Do you understand? He's your high priest. He's there to give you salvation. That's your confession. Jesus is the apostle of that confession. He's the one that brought that idea, that salvation plan to you. He's God's mouthpiece to you in that way. Do you understand? Now, if he stopped there, the relationship would have been one-sided. Do you see? Do you understand that? Because if God is only talking to you, then it's a one-sided relationship. It's not a family kind of relationship. It's a relationship between God and man. A relationship between king and subject. But he now said he's the apostle and high priest. What was the high priest's duty? The high priest's duty was different from the prophet's duty. The prophet was to speak the mind of God to the people. The high priest was to speak the mind of the people to God. Do you see? You see that. So as the high priest of your confession, he takes your claims to God. Do you understand? So Jesus, when he says he's the apostle and high priest of our confession, it refers to one important thing. He's the mediator between God and man. Praise the Lord. How many of you understand what we just said? He's the mediator between God and man. The apostle and high priest of our confession. And why is it important that he's the high priest of our confession? You see, how many of you, when you were in school, had a problem with the fact that the prefects were always the good guys? The guys that couldn't relate to what other people were going through. I don't know if that ever happened to you before. Like, you ever thought about it? Like, the person that the, your class captain that is meant to be defending you, because he's a goody two shoes, 
has, he does not relate to what you are going through, so he will always cite the teacher and not you. Do you understand? So, when they are writing names of noisemaker, you want your class captain to be your guy. Like, guy, we're guys. But your class captain is trying to please the teacher. He can't relate. But when the Bible says he's our high priest, he gave us a premise before saying that. He's a man like you. Do you understand? He's a man who was tested in every way like you. And I had a conversation with one of us on um, during concerning that phrase. When the Bible says Jesus was tested or tempted in every way. It doesn't mean that Jesus literally went through every temptation that you went through or you are going through. Alright? It means that in the basic forms, Jesus was tempted. Every temptation boils down to three things. Alright? Um, the loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, and the pride of life. You've seen that before, right? Every temptation boils down to one of those three. The loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, the pride of life. The loss of the eyes... Or let me start with the loss of the flesh. The loss of the flesh is the most common one. Alright? Um, sexual urges, lust, general lust, after one another. Hunger. You know hunger is the loss of the flesh too, right? <laughs> it is! I mean, think about it. It is. Hunger. You know, the loss of the flesh is basically every longing of the flesh to be satisfied. That's the loss of the flesh. Uh, and Jesus was tempted that way. In fact, we don't need to look too far. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, verse 1 and verse 2. He says, and afterwards, he was hungry. And the Spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the devil came to him and said to him, if you are the Son of God, turn stone to bread. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Now, I've said this here before. The temptation, the real temptation was not turning stone to bread. I mean, why was it a temptation for the person who turned water to wine to turn stone to bread? I mean, just if you turn water to wine, turn stone to bread so they will go hand in hand. <laughs> you wash it down. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. Why was it a temptation? Do you get that? But in, in that statement, there are two points of temptation. The first one is to question his sonship. Do you understand? If you have to turn stone to bread to prove that you are the son of God, then you don't really believe that you are the son of God. Alright? If, if, if you tell a guy you are a girl, and the guy starts saying, why would you say I'm a girl? Can't you see? I have beards. Then you, have, you actually start looking at the guy like, guy, are you sure? <laughs> like, because like, like if you come and tell me you are a girl, I'm like, that's your opinion. Because I know I'm a guy. I don't need to prove it. So the first point of temptation was if you are the son of God, to get Jesus to doubt his sonship. But then the second point of temptation is also to give in to lust. The lust of the flesh. Alright. The next one was, the devil took him up and showed him everything. Showed him everything. Showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And said to him, if you are the son of God, um, um, sorry, he says, all this I'll give to you if you will just bow before me all right, and you know, worship me. That's the, the lust of the eyes. Things that you see that appeal to you. You see somebody else's job, you cannot rest. Have you met people like that before? You hear that somebody's driving a new car, you're, you start having nightmares about that car. 
Alright? So he came to Jesus. He said to Jesus, Bow. Lost of the eyes. So he was also tempted in that way. The third one, which is the pride of life, he said to him, Jump. Go ahead. Do it. The pride of life is very subtle. Alright? The pride of life is you trying to get, get self-aggrandizement. <coughs> I know that word is a big word. So try to break it down. Is you trying to in common day terms, feel yourself, you know, to feel good about yourself, to place yourself in that place of importance, self-love, self-importance, self-worth. I've heard several things. Say, you're proud. No, I'm not proud. I just know my worth. You're proud. <laughs> Pride of life. Says, uh-uh. oh, another way to say it is you want to show yourself. Have you heard this statement? If you have it, flaunt it pride of life. You want to show yourself. You want to, you want to show them that you sabi. Have you met those people in class? The ones that sabi, nobody asks them. They will deliberately ask a question to the teacher that the teacher knows that the students will not know. So that the teacher will throw it open. Then they will not say, I, I'm not sure, but let me try. <laughs> they are proud. <laughs> pride of life. The devil says to him, uh-uh, Shebi, you be bros, you are the son of God. Jump down. The angels will catch you. You are special like that. <laughs> Why was it a temptation for the person that ascended into the skies after his death to jump down from a cliff? I mean, think about it. <laughs> Pride of life. So, Jesus was tempted in every way that you will be tempted. There's no temptation you will face that does not take one of these three forms. Lost of the flesh, lost of the eyes, pride of life. None of the temptations you face. And that's why the Bible says there's no temptation that is before you that is not common to man. Everybody has faced a variation of the temptation you are facing. One thing that the devil likes to do when he's tempting us is he likes to make us feel special. You are the only person in the world that has this problem. I've met people who have pornography problems that say, I think something is wrong with me because other people don't have this problem. I'm like, you have absolutely no idea the amount of people that tell me weekly that they have a pornography problem. Do you see? So Jesus faced all of that. But here's the good news. He didn't fall for any of it. Do you see that? And that made him, or that qualified him, I'm wondering what truth is doing. <laughs> that qualified him to be the so that qualifies Jesus to be a great high priest. Do you see? Because unlike other people who want to feel, unlike the Pharisees, who want to feel like they're special, they're different. Do you understand? They have no sin. Jesus says, you know, I know what you feel. I know exactly what you're going through. And this is very important. Because many times when we're going through things, we think we can't talk to God about it. That's why whenever somebody tells me, I think God is disappointed in me, I say that's a very insulting statement to make. It's insulting because he understands what you are going through. He's not disappointed in you. Do you understand? And he's also pride. Because you think so highly of yourself. I should be better than this by now. I'm sorry, my brother, you are not. (laughs) Deal with it. Don't tell yourself God is disappointed. God is not disappointed in you. He never will be. All right? All right, Hebrews 3. It 
says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. Who has seen what the writer of Hebrews is doing in chapters 1 and chapters 2? And chapter 2, he compared Jesus' ministry to the ministry of angels. Do you see that? Then he now comes into chapter 3. Why is he talking about Moses now? Because in chapter 2, he established that the law came through angels. Do you see? But Moses also gave the law. So he wants to now say that we've talked about the way the law came. Now let's talk about the propagators of the law. You see, in chapter 1, he talked about how Christ came. And Christ is the, is the giver of grace while angels gave the law. In chapter 2, he talked about, he, he expatiated on the, same, on, on the same thought process. In chapter 3, he now wants to say, let's not talk about the people who propagated the law, the people who actually said it to you. He now, he, he now starts comparing Jesus with Moses. He says he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. Next verse. He now says, for Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Do you see? So, what he's saying is, Moses is the house, Jesus is the builder. Do you get that? Next verse, the next verse will explain it better. He says, now... Every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Next verse. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. So, Moses' laws or Moses' statements were a testimony to something that will come later in the future. Do you see that? So the laws were given to serve as a pointer to something that is coming later. But the laws were not given as the main thing. Next verse. Look at this. He now says, But Jesus Christ was faithful as a son. Moses is faithful as a servant. Jesus is faithful as a son. In a house, who is more important, the son or the servant? If you said servant, come, let's visit you. And beg your father on your behalf. <laughs> he says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, whose household we are, if we hold on to the courage and confidence of our hope. Now, go back to the previous verse. He says, But Moses was faithful as a servant over in the household, my brother, in all God's household, as a testimony to what will be said in the future. He's comparing two things. Moses was pointing to something that should be said. But in Christ, that thing has already been said. Do you understand? What's that thing that should be said? Next verse. The last part of that verse. Whose household we are, my brother, go back. Whose household we are, if we hold on to that testimony. So what is that thing that should have been said? We are God's household. Do you understand? All the laws were given to point to the fact that God was going to come and live inside of man. But in Christ, the reality came. That's why the law is called a shadow. Moses' ministry was a shadow. Do you understand? Do you understand? Moses' ministry was a shadow. The substance is Christ. Alright, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Whose household we are if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. Next verse. He now says, therefore... 
as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, next verse, harden not your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the desert. Now, two weeks from now, we are going to do a teaching on apostasy or what people call reprobacy. Alright, we're going to talk about Hebrews 6. And that day, I will answer questions that may arise from today's teaching. Remember, what we are doing is a Bible study series that builds. The reason why I'm saying this is because I'm about to go into a series of verses that might leave you confused. Okay? Okay? So don't get confused. Just follow through slowly. It says, today... Go back to the previous verse. It says, today... As the Holy Spirit has said, if you hear his voice, next verse, he now says, Harden not your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the desert. Next verse. He now says, Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works. Next verse. For 40 years, therefore I was provoked with this generation, and I said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Next verse. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Now, you might read these verses and think that what the writer of Hebrews is explaining here is how God decided in his sovereignty because some people just annoyed him that they will not enter into Canaan land. You know the story now. The people in the the fourth city, they will not enter into Canaan land. Moses' generation, they did not enter Canaan land. Yes. So you would think that's exactly what he's talking about here. That's the point of what he's saying. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my, my rest. Next verse. He now says, watch out brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So now he qualifies what those people did. Do you see? Do you see it? What did those people do? They had unbelieving hearts. Praise the Lord. They had unbelieving hearts. He says, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. So their hearts departed from the living God. Think of how hardened the children of Israel were. If Nigerians, I love Nigerians for this reason. See, let me tell you, if Nigerians saw one over ten of what the children of Israel saw, they won't stop following God. They'll just be following God like that. Think about how hardened they were. You see the Red Sea split in two. Like, think about that. How many of you have been to the beach before? Raise your hand. Just imagine you are standing in front of that Elegushi beach, in front of the ocean, and it splits in two. First of all, I'm sure that no Nigerian is going to enter. (laughs) Because you'll be like, somebody's playing tricks. Like, this is a film trick. It's not real. You You see the Red Sea split in two. And God says, oh, yeah, people should pass. After much hesitation, maybe you push somebody first. Say, guy, go. And then the guy has gone. And then they get to the other side. And you're like, ah, we actually passed through. And then you see the Egyptians charging through the water, coming for you. And God says, don't worry, I've got this. And he closes the water. Ah. See, God, it's me and you. It's like that. <laughs> right? These people then go to the wilderness and said, Moses, did you bring us here to die? will kill you now. <laughs> I'm serious. Okay, 
Okay, God provided manna for them. That's another thing to think about. Do you know, manna is not a kind of food. The word manna means what is this? That's what, what's what the meaning of the word manna is. So literally, they said we're hungry and something fell from heaven that did not used to spoil. The, in fact, this was the command. It's, you can eat it all day, but once it's night, throw it away. Don't worry, the next morning there will be something for you to eat. For 40 years, I want you to please think about it. For 40 years, hot amalane will do falls from the sky. 40 years. <laughs> think about that. And these same people, at some point, Moses went away to go and talk to God. This manna was still falling every day. As Moses was on the mountain talking to God, they were still receiving manna with quails. In fact, before we get they came outside of the had crossed the Red Sea and the Bible says that for 40 years God directed them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night listen like, there are some things that maybe when you read them you don't imagine it in the night a pillar as high as a building just appears and it's fire and it is moving and you'll be following it not going that's it Think about it. For 40 years, so, God gave them water. One time, they were thirsty. They said, Moses. In fact, that's even what, is, that, that's what the Bible is referring to here. They were thirsty. They said, Moses, see, we know that you're a wicked person. You brought us here to kill all of us inside this desert, but we'll not die. We'll kill you first. And then God said, wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, strike the rock. They struck the rock. Water came out. They drank water. Three million people. Do you know what three million people means? Three million people. How many of you have been to Living Faith Church before? Raise your hand. You've seen the crowd there before. They're not up to one million. Three million. Three million people drank water from one rock. And they finished. Moses went to go and pray to God. They said to Aaron, see, we know that God has killed Moses. So let's make our own God. And we'll say it was that God that we made that delivered us from Egypt. Think of how hardened those people were. To them, eh, the solution to everything was to kill the person in charge. <laughs> Buhari cannot be their president. Ah. <laughs> to them, the solution was to kill the pe- You are the one in charge, Abby. We'll kill you. They were really hardened. They had no belief in God. None at all. None. None. Some of the laws Moses gave, Moses gave them so that they would be civil. Because if Moses left them, they would be, you see that Canaan land, that promised land, no Israelites will enter it. They will kill themselves. Think about it. <laughs> Moses said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Let's be fair. When they asked Jesus, Jesus said, Moses gave you that law because of the hardness of your heart. Because if we don't give you an eye for an eye, you take two eyes for one eye. <laughs> And that's what the writer of Hebrews is warning against. Unbelief. Staunch unbelief. Greek word apistea. It means unpersuadableness. Unpersuadableness. Have you met people that you will say everything you want to say from heaven to... And then they say, I've heard what you are saying. You are making some sense, but... 
I still don't agree. Have you heard people like that? Unbelief. Unpersuadableness. They cannot be persuaded about the truth. No matter what you show them, no matter what you say, let me tell you, you do miracles before their eyes and say it was a coincidence. Unpersuadableness. He says, watch out brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. The writer of Hebrews was writing to a Jewish congregation that started to question the validity of the gospel. That's what he was talking about. They started to question the validity of the gospel. And he's saying, watch out that there won't be unbelief in your heart. You have seen all the things that you have seen. Listen, it is more difficult to convince somebody that has been there and seen it. Is that true? Next verse. It says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Listen, this is the importance of fellowship. No one of us can stand alone. It's easy to deceive you if you're standing alone. For a while when I was an undergraduate, I met this group of people and then they had this very interesting theology. Um... How many, of you, how many of you know about Calvinism? That is very interesting theology. They call it the five points, um, the, the five points of Calvinism, the tulip. Man is totally depraved. Um, unconditional election that God has chosen the people that will go to heaven. That's what it means, basically. Even if they will never agree that that's what it means. That God has picked the ones that will go to heaven. The ones that will go to heaven... Um, L is limited atonement. That means Christ's sacrifice is just for those ones that will go to heaven. And then I, irresistible grace, those ones that, that will go to heaven that God has picked will never be able to say no. But peace, perseverance of the saints. But they have to persevere so that they will go to heaven. Like it's really confusing now, isn't it? But for a period of time, I believed them, almost believed them. I was struggling with the idea. And that's what separating yourself from a lot of people, from the fellowship of the brothers, does to you as a Christian. You can't afford to separate yourself. He says, but encourage each other daily. Do you understand? Daily. I heard a story of a preacher that went into a shop to buy something, and he saw these two Christians evangelizing to a Muslim. And the Muslim said, do you have a dictionary? He said, yes. He said, give it to me. He opened, the Muslim opened the dictionary and proved to them from the dictionary that Jesus is not alive. And they were just looking. So this preacher stepped in. said, wait, 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 wait. Because, you know, when somebody is eloquent, it's very easy to believe what he's saying. Is that true? So when you talk about the jurisdiction surrounding the etymology of the words you're like yes <laughs> you must really know what you're talking about <laughs> and so this preacher said wait 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 you guys wait wait let's start again <laughs> all right you are wrong they're muslim 
Let's go through the dictionary again. Can you see that you used the words wrongly? He said, yes. Now let's go back to the Bible. And ended up getting the Muslim to become a Christian. So, if he was not there, <laughs> I pity the pastor of those two men. Say, but pastor. <laughs> ah. But encourage each other daily while it is called today. So that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Next verse. He now says, for we have become companions of the Messiah. Oh, wow. Wow. We have become companions of the Messiah. As he is, so are we. We are in the same place, seated in the same family. We belong to the same household. We are companions, brothers and sisters of the Messiah. As if we hold family until the end, the reality that we had at the start. Now, take note of this. In Christianity, or let me rephrase that. In Christianity, your salvation cannot be lost. Praise the Lord. The God that started the salvation, he will perfect it. Do you understand that? But at the same time, there is a responsibility to stay believing. Praise the Lord. This is the way it works. God says, I have saved you. Okay? I've kept you saved. But I want you to keep believing. But you see, even that keep believing, I will enable you to do it. Do you get what I'm saying? That's the reason why Peter says that they went away from amongst us to show us that they were never one of us. So the attitude you will have to somebody who used to believe but now says, I don't believe anymore, is you never believed. And that's not too far-fetched. I mean, think about it. If I tell you, Pastor Tomwa, um, I want to take you to my house. You say, okay, fine. I'm like, I won't tell you where it is. Just follow me. And then you say, okay, that's good. And then, do you believe I can take you to my house? Yes. And then I start taking you to my house. And then in the middle of the way, you say, see, guy, I don't, I don't think you can take me to your house. Um... Tell me the address so I'll put it inside Uber so we can go there. Question, did you really believe me at the beginning? See, faith has to be absolute. It's either absolute or it's not faith at all. Is that true? Is that true? Faith has to be absolute. It's either absolute or it's not faith at all. That's what Peter says when he says, they went away from amongst us to prove to us of us. And that's why you have a, a you consistently have a warning that says we have become companions of the Messiah if, look at that, we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In, in many circles, in many grace Bible believing teaching circles, they don't like to confront verses like this. Because we want to paint a Christianity that is irresponsible. No. Alright? For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, it is he that endures to the end that will be. Are you saved now? Yes. But you see that salvation... You have a hope of it. Because of that hope, by faith, you say you are saved. 
Do you get that? But the fruit, the fullness of it comes when you are finally with Jesus in heaven. Do you get that? When, you're, when, you're, when you've died and your glorified body has been given to you. Do you get that? So, while you have a hope of salvation, you can have the reality of that salvation, but between the hope and the reality comes your endurance. That's why in Hebrews 10, it says, follow the, Hebrews 11 says, follow those who through faith and patience obtain the promises. Hebrews 10. Follow those who through faith and patience obtain the promises. Faith must always walk with patience and endurance. Are you listening to what I'm saying? But, here's now the caveat, the interesting part of it. You see that endurance is not you that is doing it. It's the Holy Spirit working in you to do it. Do you see? Praise the Lord. It's not you doing it, but the Holy Spirit working in you to produce endurance. That's why one of the fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering. Do you understand? So that ability is an ability that is in you by the Spirit. But pastor, I'm not feeling that endurance. Hello, the same way you don't feel the love that the Holy Spirit puts in your heart or the joy every time. Why don't you feel all of those things distractions? Praise the Lord. Is that true? Because you are distracted. Sometimes because you choose another way. Praise the Lord. And so, you will learn to allow the Holy Spirit's work be complete in your life. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, every believer, it's not something you work to have. The fruit of the Spirit is the expression of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. As long as the Holy Spirit is in you, he's expressing those things. But the difference is this. Why do you have one believer who is always more loving than the other? Why do you have one believer who is always more joyful than the other? It's very simple. Choices. Excuse me. Choices. So somebody annoys you. Somebody slaps you. Or he did something to annoy you. And the Holy Ghost says, forgive him. And you're like, eh? <laughs> Say, wait, Holy Ghost, I know that you I know what you're talking about. I've forgiven him. But <laughs> praise the Lord. While you have another person who is a believer, who the same thing happens, and the Holy Spirit says, Forgive him, and then the person goes and says, I forgive you. There's a difference. Do you see? So you must partner with the Spirit of God to see those things that are on your inside come outside. Just as it's with the gifts, just as it is with the gifts of the Spirit. Alright? The Holy Spirit does not speak in tongues. I hope you know. He doesn't speak in tongues. It's you that speaks in tongues. And he does not take your tongue and start wagging it. You are the one that will do this. So a lot of times, you're, you're praying for somebody and the person says, I don't pray in other tongues. I'm like, why? I've not felt it yet. Brother, do you have the Holy Ghost? Yes, pray in other tongues. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit does not heal the sick. You do the healing. That's why the Bible says, in my name, they will cast out demons. Do you understand? They will cleanse the lepers. Not the Holy Spirit. Not the name of Jesus. Them. Why? 
The power of God is an indwelling reality that you, you partner with to see effects on the outside. Do you get what I'm saying? Good. It is the same way the fruit of the Spirit is an indwelling reality that you partner with to see the effects on the outside. So joy is something that you have on your inside every day. But you have to partner with it. It's the Lord. How do you partner with it? Choices. Number one. Number two, the Bible says that your faith, the communication of thy faith, may be made effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ. What was the whole book of Philemon about? Paul was writing to Philemon about his servant Onesimus that stole money from him and ran away. <laughs> then Paul caught the guy and Paul said, see, I've worked on him. He's a good guy now. I'm sending him back to you. And Paul says, I can command you to collect him back because I'm apostle over you. I'm your pastor. I'm your teacher. I'm your daddy in the Lord. But I'm not going to do that. Why am I not going to do that? Because you're a Christian. So allow that communication of your faith. What's the communication is talking about? Forgiveness. Do you see? Allow it to be effectual by acknowledging that this is in you, in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So, you use your mouth to spoil yourself. You know me, little things. And I don't forget things. It's the little things used to get to me. See, you might do big things for me and I will just let it go. But once it's small like this, like you can take this viral now and I will not forgive you. That's not who you are. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I'm a forgiving person. I'm full of joy. I'm full of love every day. Praise the Lord. You know me, I get angry easily. No, I have self-control. That's how you partner with the Spirit of God to get those things inside of you, outside. Even as it is with endurance for the faith. The Holy Spirit is working endurance in you. But outside, you don't want to hear. No. See, I I have endurance. Say it out loud, I have endurance. You acknowledge, you acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Next verse. He now says, As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You see, they rebelled against God. In unbelief. What does it mean by they hardened their hearts? They, they didn't believe. They chose to not be persuaded. Next verse. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it really all who came out of Egypt under Moses? Next verse. He now says, And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? What was their sin? Next verse. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So their sin was a sin of disobedience. Is that correct? Next verse. So we see that they were unable to enter because of... Because of... So that sin of disobedience was what? Unbelief. They chose not to believe. They chose not to be persuaded. That's why in Ephesians, 
calls them the children of disobedience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Lack of faith is lack of obedience. Next verse. Therefore, while the promised rem- while the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear so that none of you should miss it. That phrase, let us fear, does not mean be afraid. It means let us be careful. Do you understand? It means let us be careful so that none of you should miss it. Now, make no mistakes. When you are reading a book of the Bible, always ask yourself, who is he talking to? When he says none of you, who is he talking to? None of you is not you. None of you is his audience. Who are the people in that audience? He was talking to people who were doubting the gospel. Do you understand? That's why that statement is valid. For you who are not doubting the gospel, you are not going to miss it. Amen? Amen. Exactly. Next verse. For we also have received the good news just as they did. Who is they? The people in the wilderness. He says that it was a good news they received. The good news. Now, you might ask yourself, but God, Jesus was not there in the wilderness, right? So what good news did they receive? But you need to understand that in the Old Testament, every revelation of God was an announcement of his plan in some form. We talked about it in Hebrews 1, right? He talked about, he revealed himself in portions, do you get? So even in leading, for example, he um, says that you are um, a chosen generation who have been called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his there. Now, that statement was making reference to what happened when he called the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Do you get that? See, you see, that whole thing was a declaration of the gospel. But they didn't believe in it. Do you see that? Do you understand? Raise your hand if you understand. Raise your hand if you don't. Anybody like that? Good. They did not believe in it. You see, Hebrews 1, long ago, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets in types and shadows. And he has in this last day spoken to us in his son. And I talked about how, what that means is that sometimes God spoke or God revealed things or the prophets spoke in parables. Is that true? Is that true? And parables might be stories and might be actions. Do you get that? Do you understand? So, for example, in John chapter 9, the healing of a blind man was a parable. Do you remember? It was a parable declaring the salvation plan of God. But Jesus did it through healing a blind man. I've explained that to you before, right? Great. So, parables can be stories or actions. The entire action of leading the children of Israel from Egypt into the promised land was a parable of the salvation plan of God. The good news declared. Alright, he says, For we also received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. KJV says, Since the message was not mixed with faith, which means they didn't believe. Do you understand? Moses, you see why God told Moses that you see that your generation, you people will die there. You're not entering the promised land. You people don't believe at all. Do you understand? Next verse. For we who have believed enter the rest. 
in keeping with what he said, or what he has said, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. Look at that. So he is now trying to explain what he means by rest. I mean, if God had... had finished creating everything since the foundation of the world then what exactly was he talking about when he was talking about a rest that they were to enter so that's what the writer of hebrews is trying to explain now he says so i swore in my anger they will not enter my rest and yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world next verse for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way and on the seventh day god rested from all his works Next verse. Again, in that passage, he says they will never enter my rest. So what he's doing is this. If God rested, what rest is he talking about? That's what he's trying to that's what he's trying to explain. The question is trying to put in your heart. Next verse. He now says, Since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. What's this disobedience? Say it out loud. What's this disobedience? Great. Since it remains, my brother, go back. It remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Next verse. He now says, Again, he specifies a certain day today, speaking through David after such a long time, as previously stated. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, this is what he's saying. In the wilderness, they heard God's voice, they heard the good news, and they did not believe. Right? David lived many years after the wilderness and yet david wrote today if you hear god's voice do not harden your hearts do you see that so he's now saying that that rest that god made available for them in the wilderness is still available because if david wrote after the children of israel did not believe it means that rest is still there do you get next verse for if joshua had given them rest he david would not have spoken later about another day. Do you understand? Great. So he's saying that, now, you know, they know that he said Joshua, not Moses. You know why? Moses didn't lead them into the promised land. Joshua did. Now, that rest cannot be the promised land. The rest God was talking about, when he said, you will not enter into my rest, was a figure. Do you understand? The promised land was just a shadow, just like the law was. There's still a promised land to come that is not physical. Do you understand? So he's now saying, for if Joshua had given them rest, that is, if Joshua took them into the promised land and that promised land was the rest, then David will not say, he will not talk about another day. But David spoke about another day. Which means there's another rest. Next verse. That rest remains therefore for God's people. This is the conclusion. He has been leading up to this statement. Do you understand? Raise your hand if you follow. Raise your hand if you follow. Great. Next verse. It now says, For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works. Oh God. Just as God did from his. Do you see? The person who has entered this rest that God has been promising has rested from his own works. Just like God did from his own. God created the world in seven days. When he was done, he rested. And the Bible says God promises everybody that everybody that enters this rest to step away from their own works too. What works? What is he talking about? Next verse. 
Let us then make every effort to end that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. What's that disobedience? So he's saying, let us make efforts to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Next verse, this is interesting. He says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide soul, spirits, joint, and marrow. It is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. Now, how many of you are genuinely confused that why did he say this? Like, we were, going, we were following a train of thoughts. Then you just took but for the word of God is. You know, the, you know this verse, Pa? Yeah, why did he put this up here? Well, this statement, all right, is connected to the last one. In the sense that, in verse 11, it says, let us labor to enter into this rest. So that we will not follow the same pattern of disobedience. What's that disobedience? Unbelief in what? In Hebrews 4.2, go back to Hebrews 4.2. It says, for we also have received the good news. Do you see? There's a good news that we received. He says, let us enter into rest. How do we enter into rest? By believing that good news. What is this good news? Salvation is by Christ alone. So when he says the one who has entered into this rest has rested from his works, it means that the one who has entered into this rest has stopped trying to get salvation by his works. Do you follow? Listen, you've got to enter into this rest. Go back to Hebrews 4.11. Give me the KJV. Hebrews 4.11. Look at this. It says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Have you, is, does, it not, does it not sound contradictory? Does it not sound like an oxymoron? To labor to rest. You are lying down on the chair and they say, what are you doing? I'm walking hard to rest. <laughs> is that not an oxymoron? Let us labor to enter into that rest. Why is it a labor? Because there are many things that will try to stop you from entering that rest. The top of which is condemnation. Do you see? What the devil wants to do is the devil wants to put you in that place where you consistently see that your works are needed for salvation. Praise the Lord. Is it possible to know something but not truly believe it? Yes. So you meet people when you start telling them about the gospel, you know, salvation is by grace, and you say, Pastor, I know all those things. But when you hear the things they say, you're like, you don't really know what you say you know. You don't. Do you see? Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and um, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because my burden is light and my yoke is easy. So, Jesus says, oh, wow. It's the same idea. He didn't say, just give me your yoke, give me your burden and go. He says, there's a burden that I'm going to give you. It's light, it's easy. What's that burden? Believe. Do you see? What's that burden? What's that yoke? Believe. What's your burden? What's your yoke? Your works. All that you've been trying to do to attain salvation. Jesus said, bring it. I'll take it for you. I'll give you my own. My own is simpler than your own. All you need to do is believe. Listen, this is like water in a desert. Do you, are you listening to what I'm saying? Maybe you don't know what it means. Many times people tell me 
that I'm struggling, struggling with so 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 addiction. I said, that's why you are struggling. That's why you are still in this because you are struggling with it. You need to rest. Rest. How are you going to rest? Remind yourself daily who you are in Christ, what he has done for you. That's the rest. A lot of people see a relationship with God as a 50-50 thing. You have to do 50% and he will do 50%. But you don't understand. We love because he first loved us. Our relationship with God is a response to his own with us. Praise the Lord. is a natural response. Rest. Amen. Tell yourself, I will rest. He says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. And he didn't just say, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same pattern of unbelief. Next verse. He now says, because the word of God is living and effective. Oh, glory. (laughs) Hey, the word of God is living and effective. What does it mean? Why did he say this? Listen, if God has asked you to rest in these promises, he's telling you that what God promised is true. God's word has the ability to bring to pass everything he promises you. Luke chapter 1 verse 52. I'm going to show you something. Luke 135. Thank you. Luke 135. The angel replied, to her. He's talking to Mary. Take me to KGV, please. The Holy Spirit will come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Next verse. How can these things be seen? Next verse. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her, who was called Barry. Next verse. Um, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. This phrase is a very, very interesting phrase. Let me see what the HCSB says before I go Greek on you guys. Ah. No. In the Greek, you see this word nothing. In the Greek, amplified. Thank you. In the Greek, that word nothing is the word rhema. The word rhema, which means spoken word, a word spoken. So when he says, for with God, nothing is impossible. It means for with God, nothing is ever impossible. And no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. What he was telling Mary is that the words that God has spoken to you have in them the innate ability to fulfill themselves. Do you understand? When the Bible says for the word of God is living and active, is living and effective. Listen, has God promised you salvation? The promise itself has the power to fulfill itself. So listen, put your entire trust on that promise. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full on his glorious face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Rest. Rest. Are you listening to me? Rest. Praise the Lord. 
Many times, listen, it's very easy for you to find yourself thinking thoughts. Oh, why? God is disappointed in me. The things that I have done, rest, brother, rest. Remind yourself to rest. Praise the Lord. How many of you know how to swim here? Raise your hand if you do. Jesus Christ, none of you, just one. Please, swimming is not, excuse me, swimming is not a luxury, it's a survival skill. Go and learn how to swim. When? When? (laughs) All right, praise the Lord. When you are going to learn to swim, the first thing your instructor teaches you to do is rest. That's actually what they teach you to do. They teach you to lie on the water. Is that true? At least, why are you saying yes? You don't know how to swim. <laughs> you don't know how to swim. The person I'm talking to you, is that true? <laughs> Thank you. They teach you to rest. Are you listening to me? Because, listen, in fact, if you're a lifeguard, one of the things they teach you as a lifeguard is if you see somebody drowning, wait for him to lose his strength before you save him. <laughs> Sounds interesting, right? So a lifeguard will watch you almost drown before he tries to get you out. That's if there's no floater. Do you understand? To throw at you. They will actually wait for you to almost drown before they say, okay, we are helping you now. Why? Because if they dive in as you are flailing your arms, you will drag them under with you. Do you understand? We mess things up. We try to do you understand what I'm saying? That feels, oh, I'm, I'm God. I have to try to please God. And the person tries and tries and tries and falls into depression. We mess things up when we try to achieve them by our works. Rest. Praise the Lord. Rest. Rest in God's love for you. Rest in God's promises. Rest. Full trust. And some people say, I don't know what it means to trust. You do. For those of you that have parents that God have blessed, that you don't need to remind, your, remind, for, remind them to pay your school fees. That's what it means to trust. How many of you have been, like you've been in that situation where it's just time for school, you just pack your things. You're not asking, Daddy, have you paid my fees? You just pack your things. Why? You have rested in Daddy's ability. So will you rest in the fact that Jesus died to save you? A way, a way you show that you are resting is that you are confident to pray. You understand what I'm saying? I often tell people the best time to go to God to talk to him is when you've messed up. There's no better time. Because that's when the love is felt the most. Is that true? Oh, I know what I did last night, so I can't really pray right now. I need to get myself before I pray. My brother rests. Praise the Lord. Rest. Find, listen, find that oasis. This world is a desert. Christ is that oasis. He is that body of water. Cool, fresh spring that gives you comfort through everything are you listening to what I'm saying 